There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Yeah, we are coming very close to the end of the year and that does mean we will be having our TGP Nominal Stroke Garbage Pod Christmas crossover. But before we do that, we have our Sky Guide and uh, we need one person in particular to be able to do that and that's Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Happy December, everyone. I don't know about you, but we, we've actually got snow outside as we're speaking. So it's here. Christmas has come. I think we had some, but it disappeared very quickly. But the ice and frost has not lifted today at all. So I think it's like one degrees outside at the moment. Well, I think I've had my heating on pretty much all yesterday and today now. <laughs> But the snow's still there. It's brilliant. It's only a light dusting, but you know, for us Brits, we're happy with that. That is, that's class as Christmas. We had our uh, Christmas light switch on cancelled on the weekend because of the fact that the snow wasn't a problem, but the high wind was. Yeah, that was a bit mad, wasn't it? There was a really, really strong wind at the weekend. Or was there a hurricane anywhere? That. <laughs> but it was a proper storm. It was one of the ones with a name. I think it was Arlen or Arlen or something like that. It was called. Is it? Is it one of the ones? So we got the tail end of it and we're like oh whereas the americans got the whole of it and we're like we're fine <laughs> pretty much yeah because our light switch on has big scaffolding staging and all that kind of stuff they wasn't prepared to put the staging up just in case some of it fell down and when the lights are actually switched on we have fireworks as well and you really don't want them blowing off in any direction they would have been shot off somewhere else <laughs> Uh, the lights are on and everything, but um, just no countdown and stuff, which was a shame, but uh, that's the situation in the UK when it comes to the weather, but the, the skies have been quite clear. Yeah, they've been really good. And last night there was a load of snow, then it cleared up completely because I was outside crazily, not with a telescope. For some reason, I got in the Christmas spirit. We were meant to be putting our Christmas lights up, but myself and my wife got to the point where we were like, ah, we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> we'll do it another day. We couldn't be bothered for some reason. So instead, I got some... Uh, I was meant to get mauled wine, but as you rightly pointed out, I got some sangria, which is technically kind of the same thing. So I heated that up, and I sat outside with my little fire pit, had that going. So it's kind of snowing around me while I was out there with the fire pit drinking mauled wine. It was awesome. It was really nice, but a bit crazy. <laughs> if you really think about it that kind of takes me back to um when i used to do the festival circuit even on a bank holiday weekend august bank holiday in the in the evening you know get quite late and it's quite cold and so you sat around a fire somebody will always bring out a guitar and you'll have a sing along and uh drinking some kind of homemade brew that's been heated up and probably lost a few brain cells in that evening just drinking this stuff but uh it was good fun and it kind of takes me back to that when people sit there around the fire drinking mulled wine and stuff there's something about like just seeing like the rooftops of all the snow on but then a clear sky as well I don't know what it is it's just something that's very picturesque isn't it to see it all there oh yeah and you can see the houses that have got proper insulation and not I always say that to the missus I go see I did the loft the other year look at that snow's still on it she's like yeah what's that mean I mean it means no heat's being lost I'm a legend 
<laughs> and I go, oh, look, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> if it carries on like this, we, I doubt it, but there might be a slim chance that we might get some snow at Christmas. So. I think I can only remember one, maybe one Christmas that actually had snow on when I was a kid. I can remember going over to my cousins and we went on a pub crawl on Christmas Eve. And as we came out of the last pub, it started to snow, not very thick, but it was there. And I always noticed that all the police officers, that, because you always get police officers as people are coming out of the pubs, all had Santa hats on. Oh, excellent. Which was nice. <laughs> So I think it's time we went on to the main body of the show, which is the Sky Guide, and we'll do that after a short break. Well, here's a few facts about the ISS. That 15 countries made a success. Took a lot of space flights for us to build a station as big as a football field. Two Johns on board, but they got no bath. Orbits the Earth in an hour and a half. Over 200 miles up off the ground. And tipping them scales at a million pounds. Making benefits for humanity. Science and technology. Over 200 people have lived on board. The heroes of Earth who were driven to explore. Space, that is, off the Earth, for the Earth, on the journey to Mars. We are, by nature, explorers. The same curiosity that sends us to the stars at the speed of thought urges us to go there in reality. And whenever we make a great new leap, we elevate humanity, bring people and nations together, usher new discoveries, new technologies. So remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Be curious. I'm Chris Lintot and you're listening to TGP Nominal. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. Now, usually at this point, Ross goes straight into the Sky Guide, but I thought I would include this in the show. People were probably aware of Tim Dodds, who's otherwise known as the Everyday Astronaut, and he does a YouTube stream and he makes videos about space and rocketry and all that kind of stuff. He, he does some absolutely fantastic stuff. 
on his live stream recently he asked people to send in their questions to him and there was one that struck a chord with me i thought that i would play it into the show now it's always controversial about the starlink train isn't it yeah and you get some people go, oh yeah, that's Starlink, it's really cool to see. And then you get the others go, hate Starlink because it gets in the way of all the astrophotography and all this sort of stuff. So there's a love-hate relationship for it, I think. So just have a listen. And this is his views on um, Starlink launches. I have gone out trying to photograph Starlink multiple times. It's very hard. It's actually difficult to do. Granted, it's only a tenth of the way done. But, um, you know, if it's ten times more obvious in the future they're getting a lot darker they're in their final orbits they're getting they're less reflective they're using solar shades they're pointing in wrong ways they will not i don't think be any true effect for someone out stargazing because if you're stargazing it's you know an hour or two after sunset those satellites will not be reflective anymore that's the thing is i've done a lot of astronomy you know astrophotography i don't do astrophotography at dusk or dawn. I do it in the middle of the night when it's darkest, when you have the darkest night sky. Uh, and in those cases, the satellites will not be reflective because they're also in the shadow of the earth and they are not able to reflect off the sun. Um, so it's a compounding thing. Astrophotographers should not be worried because you should be taking pictures in the, in the absolute dusk. Um, so you shouldn't have problems then. You also, if you're stacking images, you can do a negative stack and remove any things like planes. I'm more worried about planes. I've had planes ruin my photos for years, but you can negative stack planes, right? Same with uh, Starlink satellites. You can do that too. Uh, and also they're getting dimmer. So I really, I'm not worried about it as a, as a fan of astronomy, but I am more worried about the scientific discoveries and things that, that require this little tiny piece of the sky that's being observed for some for something that that it could be more of a new a nuisance there but spacex is working very closely with the astronomy community to help prevent and mitigate that as much as possible so yeah uh good question but personally go go take some pictures of starlink satellites you know and I think you'll have a hard time doing it. Well, he definitely seems like he, he knows a lot more than me about astrophotography and taking pictures. I've only really used my phone and even, even used my phone trying to get pictures of them. It was really difficult. And that was when they were a lot brighter because when was it? it was probably about a year or so ago, if not more, maybe a year and a half. The main moment when everyone was seeing them was actually through COVID when it first started. That's 2020, wasn't it? Yeah. I think they could see them all going across the sky there. And I've tried taking pictures of them as well and they don't come out that bright. So now they've got shielding on and stuff like that. Hopefully, as he says... I mean, he, he obviously knows a lot more than me. They should hopefully not get in the way too much. They're going into their final stages now, which means they're going further and further away. So that means they're going to be even more dimmer than they were before. Yeah, that's what Elon Musk was saying, that wasn't he? He said they're going to be bright for a while, but then as they start going up and drifting away, because people thought they were actually going to see constellations of these things, didn't they? Before mm. they'd be all different ones, you'd actually make your own constellations out of all these bright objects all over the sky. But it sounds like they've, you know, they've listened to the community and they're doing all they can for them, hopefully. Now, the only problem we've got at the moment is something that John mentioned in the last podcast, which is a company called Astra, who have successfully launched their latest rocket. We were preparing for it in the last podcast because previous to that, we had the Astra rocket that went sideways, which was <laughs> bizarre. Cool to see, but not right. <laughs> so the latest Astra rocket 
was successful so they're hoping from now they can make their own constellation of satellite technology for internet because spacex has done it you're going to get other companies that want to do it and astro is one of the first and they want to send up 13,000 satellites in small batches not all together so hopefully astro will learn from spacex and starlink and do similar things to stop the reflections i hope so there was quite a lot of backlash wasn't there the astronomy community against them yeah fingers crossed they've learnt from that and they think oh we don't really want that bad press <laughs> maybe we'll just put a shield them a bit or you know people just go just paint them black if you paint them black it absorbs more light and in space there isn't really anything to stop <laughs> the light getting to you so it's all going to reach you and it's going to heat it up and it'll just uh, destroy the insides i imagine so it's quite a quite a hard thing to kind of negate definitely Right, shall we go into what's going on this month? Why not? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, December, with the snow and the clear skies and the stars and everything out, it just looks kind of magical, doesn't it? It looks really cool. It's got that Christmas spirit to it. So I'm going to do a little brief where the planets are and what they're kind of doing. So Mercury is going to be popping up briefly with Venus. Venus is always looking nice and bright in the afternoon sky. Mercury comes up, I think, about halfway through the month and it'll be just below it. Might be hard to see, but you could spot Mercury and Venus together. Again, Jupiter and Saturn are still up in the sky, quite nice and bright until around 10, 11 o'clock at night when they start setting. Uranus or Uranus as I like to say and Neptune they're both up as well most of the night but they are both placed kind of in between constellations so they're going to be a hard find so a bit of star hopping and maybe an apple too is going to help Mars is close to the sun in the morning sky at the moment so it's a bit of a challenge to see there may be an opportunity to see it in the morning but to be honest with you I think it's so low and close to the sun probably not worth it not for at least another year or so because you probably won't see much on the planet itself but they are all there you can all see them so let's move on to the actual dates and what's going on. So it kicks off on the 2nd with a lovely morning thin crescent moon rising around about 5am. Again with Mars rising just to its bottom left about an hour or so after. So allowing you to kind of see them both just before sunrise if you're lucky. Again, I'm not too sure about how bright Mars is and whether you can see it. I think you might be able to make it out, but you're not going to have long to see it before the sun kind of comes up and washes it all out. There's also the nice blue star speaker which is in Virgo and it's going to be higher up to their right. There's another big bright burning star at Turus, which is higher even further up above them. I believe it's slightly more to their left. So it's going to create a kind of cool morning welcome to the day. You'll have the moon, you have Mars, a nice blue speaker, and the huge, awesome burning Arcturus up in the sky. So imagine that, you know, looking across some maybe frosty fields, the stars and maybe a planet and the moon there. Most of the stuff's in the afternoon at the moment. But if we move on to the third, this morning, you can see the same cool sights as yesterday. But the moon is now going to have moved. It's going to have moved past Mars and it's going to be a really thin 1% lit. So it's a really, really thin, tiny little crescent. It's rising at around 7am, so you're going to have to get out quick and spot it before the sun rises. Again, really cool thing to see in the morning sky if you're an early riser and you've got to get up and go to work or anything, or maybe school if you're up that early. If we move on to the 4th, now moving on to the afternoon sky, which is always better, especially in the winters, it gets darker really early now. From around about 4.30pm this evening, watch and see if you can spot the brightening Venus as the sky darkens with the setting sun. You should easily then see the gas giant Jupiter up to its left, with the ring planet Saturn slightly fainter in between the two. So you've got the nice two bright planets, Venus and Jupiter, and in between them is the faint Saturn. If you grab a pair of binoculars or a telescope, 
pop it onto Venus and you'll see that it's around about 25% lit so it too looks kind of like a thin crescent moon. You shouldn't need a moon filter to dim it down to see because when it's quite bright sometimes you need a filter to go into your eyepiece to dim it down so you can actually see the phase but about 25% you should actually be able to make out the crescent hopefully. I don't think I've tried it myself with binoculars yet but I do believe you might be able to just see the thin crescent with them. I'm going to have to have a go and find out for you but it's all part of the fun of astronomy going out and not knowing and seeing for yourself if it actually does happen. So if we move on to the 6th now, so a couple of days ahead, go back to Venus in the evening, you'll see that the moon has now popped up just to its right, so it's no longer in the morning now, it's coming up in the evening or afternoon. It will again be a very thin crescent, and maybe with a pair of binoculars you might get to see both in the same view at the same time, because they are quite close to each other, so that'll be a cool sight through some binoculars. The moon will be moving slowly past all the planets each month as it goes on, so you can kind of follow its journey passing all these planets. We move on to the next day, again another awesome view in the evening, as the sun sets around 5pm, Venus will be up, there will be a now 16% lit moon, Saturn and Jupiter will appear again in the sky to their left, the moon is going to be more easily visible between Venus and Saturn, so it's moved from the right hand side of Venus up towards and below sort of Saturn, in between the two, you might as well spot there's a bright blue star higher up of them all, and it's the star Altar, which is the tail of the Eagle Aquila, which is a constellation which is kind of diving down now as the sun sets, it's like swooping down below the horizon, so that's something cool you can imagine and see as you go out in the afternoon sky. Onto the next day, the moon now moves to a 22% lit, so it's kind of waxing and getting fuller each night as it moves left across the sky in its orbit around the Earth. Now it sits between Saturn and Jupiter, so it was Saturn and Venus, it's now shifted again between Saturn and Jupiter, so it does actually move quite quickly in the sky each night, and you can see this going across as it visits all the planets. It's going to be slightly lower than the planets themselves, just below them all, but it's a great opportunity to maybe get a picture if you missed it the night before, as we know, get clouds and stuff like that. It'd be a really cool evening sky. And then, you know, if you want to go out each evening and watch this happen and watch the moon move, maybe get a picture of each time, you can actually see the moon in each picture differently moving across. So a cool little sight to see. Move on to the next day, and again, the evening moon has now shifted past Jupiter, sitting to its left. So it was in between Jupiter and Saturn, it's now shifted to the left of Jupiter, and you can now see how quickly it has moved across the sky and how much it starts to brighten. So it's now going to be 35%. It's going to start to look a lot more brighter over the next few days, and it'll start moving slowly to the left, and there's not really many other planets you can see with it, but if you watch it over the days, you'll see it kind of waxing really cool and getting to a full moon, and it'll start waning again as the month goes on. We move on to the 11th, time to spot some cool objects on the moon itself. As we've been watching it for the last week or so, you should know where it is, you should see it changing its phase. If you're using a moderate sized telescope, you can now spot the crater Alba Tegnius. I've said this before and I said it well and I said it badly today. This crater is about the midpoint of the moon and you'll see that the shadow cast on it actually creates what looks like a smiling face looking back at you from the moon. To help you easily find it, you can use a moon map or an app called Moon Globe HD, it's on there. And of course, we'll have pics for you in our Facebook group, UK Astronomy, on the website as well. 
and TGP Nominal always puts notes to accompany this with pictures on for the podcast so it's really easy for you to go and find it and also look up the correct pronunciation for it and teach me so I'm no good at that. If we move on to the 12th, if you fancy another face on the moon, we always talk about the man on the moon. There's like loads of faces on the moon. There's a man on the moon. There's a woman on the moon. There's a maiden on the moon. Pretty much whatever your mind wants to make of all the shapes and stuff on there. There's an X, there's a V, loads of cool stuff you can see. But on the 12th, there'll be another face. And this is the crater Clavius, which is slightly easier for me to say. Around 10 p.m. is at its best. And what it is, is the shadow kind of goes across the crater and there are two higher regions within the crater itself kind of stick up and I think they're called like craterlets or craterettes so like little craters and they kind of glint the sunlight on the top of them and it makes it look like kind of two eyes are kind of peeking out of the darkness of the shadow of the crater looking out at you so you can imagine some sort of creature there or a bat or something looking out from you from the moon who knows what's there so it is towards the sort of bottom of the moon but again we'll put pictures up for you in the notes here the TGP nominal and they'll be on our website and stuff like that so you can easily have a look and find them Right, moving on to the 13th. Now this is our naked eye object of the month because it is the Geminid Meteor Shower. Now they say it peaks for the next two nights. I think they say like the 12th and the 13th might be best, but it might be the 13th and the 14th. So look over these three nights really, 12th, 13th, 14th. So it peaks overnight into the morning, but it's probably best viewed after midnight as I said, because it's kind of a morning show. They radiate from the constellation Gemini and they radiate sort of where the twins head Castor and Pollux are. So they're just there. The problem with Gemini at the moment is it's on the horizon as the sun sets. So it takes a bit of time to actually rise up, which is probably why they're saying have a look after 12 o'clock because it'll be higher in the sky and you'll get more chance of seeing these meteors burning across the sky. They say they peak at an average of around about 60 to 70 an hour. So that's pretty good. But again, it all depends on how dense the dust cloud that we're passing through is from a comet that's gone round loads and loads and loads of times. Although this one is actually made by an asteroid. There's not many asteroids that give off a dust sort of trail. But this one does so this asteroid takes about 1.4 years to orbit the sun and it leaves behind like a dust lane that creates this annual meteor shower they say that it can peak to 120 depending but we never know unfortunately the moon is in the way a little bit until around about 3 a.m so those hardcore astronomers have got a few hours to spot some of the christmas shooting stars as i call them so they're saying really between three and when the sun comes up but have a look around Gemini, the twins, and you might see all these shooting stars flying across there. So the moon will block out some, but you know, some of the brightest ones will still get through. And it's one of the best ones. Everyone always goes on about the Perseids, but Perseids is in the peak of summer in August. It only gets dark for about an hour anyway. So really, you've probably got more chance of seeing with this one. It's just colder and darker. People don't really like sitting in the snow and the cold. It's not the same as a nice warm summer evening looking for meteors. But go out, have a look. Who knows? You might see some get a camera, do some exposures, you might get some flying across the screen of your camera and you've actually got a picture of a meteor up and a bit of an asteroid, not a comet. Right, moving on to the 21st. Today is the start of the winter solstice, which means Earth's poles are at their maximum tilt away from the sun. So we now have the longest night tonight. So the 21st is officially the longest night in the UK. And it's where the sun's central disk kind of reaches its lowest point in the sky relative to the stars. And the nights start getting shorter. So we have to build up to the 21st. We've only got about 21 days of longer nights until they start slowly, slowly getting shorter. And there's one thing I'd, I will say about that is that last year's winter solstice was warmer than this year's summer solstice. Is that in the UK, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. Our country makes no sense, really, does it? Bizarre. <laughs> 
Just depends where the wind's blowing, I guess, and what's coming our way. Yeah. Cool. Well, you never know. There was me saying, you know, sitting out in a nice summer Perseid meteor shower. It was actually colder, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So this one might be warmer, guys, so go out and do it. Right, moving on to the 22nd. Just got a few more to go. We've got another peak of a meteor shower, and this is the Ursid. It's only a minor one, and again, it happens in the early morning. So if you look towards Ursa Minor, you'll see Polaris, the North Star, is at one end. The Radiant is actually the other end of it. But if you look around where Polaris is, that's where you're probably going to see the Radiant, the meteor showers sort of flying towards you and across the sky. Now, they only really generate a handful of shooting stars, and it's from a stream of debris left behind by Comet 8P Tuttle. So this one is a comet. There is, again, a bright moon up, and it's up all night unfortunately, so it may wash out a few all but the brightest ones. So it is a little minor one there, but there might be some more Geminids flying around as well. Might be still going through a bit of the stream there. So it's always worth popping out and having a look. You might see them flying across Ursa Minor, the little bear. Right, on to the 24th. And we now have a 76% lit moon. And if you look at the moon at 4.16am, which I don't think many people are going to do, especially this time of year. If you look there, the moon is actually in Leo constellation. And there's a star there. And it's, it's only kind of like a minor star. It's not, it hasn't actually got a name or anything. But the star's going to slowly slip behind the moon at 4.16. So you can see this star kind of go across the top of the moon, disappear behind it. And then it reappears at 5.09am. So you can actually watch the moon kind of glow gliding across the sky and make this star disappear behind it and slowly keep moving till the star pops out. So you can actually watch almost over what 45 minutes the moon actually moving in the sky as it orbits the earth which I always think is quite cool. So if you are about and you can get up at four ish in the morning go out and have a peek at this watch it for 45 minutes then go back to bed be fine. But it's really cool to see it's something that kind of like makes it real. Right, last but not least, on the 26th, you can apparently see six planets in one night. So as the sun sets around 4pm, from then onwards, if you've got a low horizon just below the planet Venus, which is probably quite bright and you'll be able to make it out quite easily, will be Mercury. It's high enough to hopefully see as the sun sets. It's gonna, that's gonna, probably going to be your hardest challenge, finding Mercury, because it will still be bright in the sky. But you can spot these two as the sun sets and you're on your way to seeing six planets in one night. Now, as we know, as I spoke earlier, Jupiter and Saturn are also up, just left of Venus, sort of diagonally left. So that makes four planets spotted. Jupiter and Saturn should be quite easy compared to the rest. Now, you're going to have to wait a little later until it has got a bit darker to try and spot the next two. And a telescope will be needed because they can't be seen with just the naked eye. There are rumours that you can see them with binoculars, but I think it'll be very, very difficult to actually spot them and see that they're there. But why not have a go? I'm going to have to have a go, I think, because I've only ever seen it through a telescope. So you've got Uranus. It is up and it reached opposition last month, so it should still be quite bright in the sky to see, although its location is a bit tough. It's sat right in the middle of nowhere between Cetus's head, which is sort of like the sea monster, and Aries, the ram, in between those two constellations. So you're probably going to need a star map or app, so actually star hop around from one of those constellations main stars up or down to find the planet itself and get a glimpse of it. But if you do, you found it, so you found five of them. It's going to be the same it seems for Neptune because it's sat in between one of Pisces fish heads where one of the heads are, it's sat in between that and Aquarius. So it's just above left of Jupiter in between these two constellations. Again, an app is probably a must to find these two, especially Neptune, it is quite dim. But you've got most of the night to go and spot them all. So if you manage to get the first four, you have the rest of the night and the evening to star hop around and find these two planets. So hopefully you have a nice clear sky on these nights and you'll be able to get to see six planets in one night. So that's a bit of a challenge set for you. Now this is where we go on to our objects of the month. Now this is our naked eye 
object of the month. And as I said, is the Geminid Meteor Shower we spoke about. It's a great one to see. It's not as famous as the Perseids, but as I said, with darker, colder nights, this should see a lot more, hopefully with less light pollution if you go out somewhere. And hopefully the moon won't wash out too many for you. We move on to the binocular object of the month. We did speak about this last month, but it seems like the comet we spoke about, 2021A1 Leonard, is actually getting brighter. I've seen some photographs of it, I've seen people saying they've seen it. So it's meant to be getting brighter and brighter as the month goes on, and even easier to spot with binoculars this month. They reckon you might even be able to see it with the naked eye. It's not going to be as good as that Neowise comet we saw in 2020, but you might be able to make it out, you might be able to see the comet. It's quite low in the sky, it's passing under Venus, so as we know, Venus is actually not too low on the horizon, but it's going to be underneath it. So it might be around where sort of Mercury sort of area is. So you're not going to have a lot of time to be able to spot it because the sun's going to be setting. But you'll be able to scan the horizon. You might be able to see it with binoculars. They're saying it's best between the 1st and the 13th of December, where it's kind of to the right below Venus, moving under and past it. So it's literally almost underneath, just to the right of it on the 17th. And then to the 18th, it's just to the left of Venus. So they'll be there on the 17th and 18th, but they're saying the 1st and the 13th is best. It might be because it might be slightly higher in the sky then, or maybe that's when it's meant to peak and be at its brightest. Now, as I said, it's going to be a little bit tough because the sun hasn't really set yet, but I think it's well worth a peak. If you can get up to maybe some higher ground, get a lower horizon, just be careful because, of course, the setting sun is there. So don't have a look at that and burn your eyes out. We don't want that. So fingers crossed, you guys. I hope you get to see the comet. If not, there'll be plenty more to see. But pop out and have a look and see if you can find A1 Leonard. Now, it wouldn't be December without the Telescope Objects of the Month. It's been mentioned before, but it's because I just love it. I love it because when you actually look at it, it actually does look like what it says. So this is the Christmas tree cluster. And if you see it in pictures, I think people have deliberately made it kind of green. So it actually does look like a Christmas tree. And it's in Gemini. So if you start at the twin Pollux's head, which is a star, move down to its left leg to the star Alzir. Not far from there, you'll find the Christmas tree cluster. You might be able to see it with binoculars, but I think a telescope is best, but you can have a go. It is an awesome little cluster. I love it. It's formed by like a group of really young stars and it actually does look like a Christmas tree with a big bright star right at the top. Just like we do in our own homes. We stick a star at the top. Although nowadays I think people stick all sorts of things at the top. We've got fairies. I think we have pigs because Frankie loves pigs for some reason. That's my wife, by the way. There is also the cone nebula here, but it is very hard to see. It's kind of like a wispy, swirling load of gas. It looks like a cone sort of going up towards the Christmas tree or actually in the Christmas tree cluster. With a camera, you might be able to pick it up. So if you fancy some astrophotography here and having a go, it can be found by the designation NGC 2264. So if you just pop that into apps or Stellarium, that will pick up exactly where it is for you. And also that's where the Christmas tree cluster is. So if you've got Stellarium on your phone and you want to try and find it, pop that on there and have a look. It's a really cool little cluster and I absolutely love it. I have to talk about it every year. I don't know why. Just love it. So that's December. So all I can say is Merry Christmas from all at UK Astronomy and clear skies. So Ross, I know it's been difficult for you lately, but what have you got lined up? Anything for Christmas? Well, there's the 12 Sites of Christmas song that rears its ugly head every single year. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be coming out, which is me singing the 12 Sites of Christmas, horrifically. <laughs> my my favourite part of that was nothing, it was cloudy. Yes. I think that is... <laughs> yeah. I had to put that in there. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. I do like the Andromeda bit. Andromeda Galaxy, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Nothing, it was cloudy. <laughs> Uranus, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was many moons ago. 
but it's, it keeps coming out every year. It's a tradition. It's the law. It's got to be it done. It seems like it now. And I'm hoping, I'm probably <laughs> going to do an online, just the Star of Bethlehem talk. So what it was and, you know, lots of different factors of what it could have been, what it wasn't, how it happened, periods of time it could have been at. That's quite cool. So I'm hoping to get that done as well. And that will go out just for Christmas and then we'll remove it in January because it is a token talk that I put out there for people. <laughs> so hopefully that'll be out for December for you. It'll be quite interesting. And then we're just talking about doing some work with you. Bit of fun, bit of facts. And apart from that, probably getting back to work at last, hopefully. Now my wrist is getting better. Yeah, yeah. And uh, getting on with life, getting back out there. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. It does seem weird saying that at the beginning of December, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not technically Christmas yet for us, but. Well, we have got the Christmas crossover, as I mentioned earlier, and we'll see how things go. So. That leaves me with the usual stuff that I have to say, which is stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we will speak to you all again real soon. And remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Thank you.